the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us tonight here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk a bit about uh, what is going on in our country with regard to the assault on our law enforcement officers. Um, I remember years ago, we used to really respect our law enforcement officers and the uh, police were our friends. Uh, But now the assault on police officers has just been not going in the right direction. Uh, To talk to us tonight about it is Lance LaRusso, uh, an expert on the issue of police and the issue of the assault on police. Lance, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Where are you calling from tonight? Calling from Atlanta. Atlanta, close to Houston. We're going to talk about Houston, Texas here in a moment. But first, tell us a little bit about your background and your involvement with law enforcement and interest in police. Sure. I've been involved in law enforcement in one way or another for about 30 years. Um, I started out as a street cop, then moved to the training division, uh, worked as a firearms trainer, um, hostage negotiator, uh, training recruits in the academy um, on all different topics, and um, worked uh, as an investigator doing fraud cases. Then I got a master's degree in public administration at night and went to law school at night, and now I represent law enforcement officers from all over the state of Georgia. Well, very good. Well, thank you for your service as a law enforcement officer, too, and a lawyer. Thank you. Uh, as you know, you and I have talked before. I'm an attorney, and uh, when uh, I was in law school, I worked with the police department and uh, did ride-alongs and all of this and, and cruisers, and it seemed back years ago uh, police were more respected than they are. I, I recently went on a ride-along program with the uh, police and had the sense you're more of a target than being a respectful object out in the community. Uh, is, is that somewhat accurate across the board? And if so, what, what accounts for that? Well, it's a really interesting uh, thing because it depends on the community, but uh, there are people in the past uh, probably eight or ten years who have really promoted a lack of respect towards law enforcement and a lack of respect not just towards law enforcement in the uniforms but also towards the process of what they're doing so um, you know I watched a video recently of an officer approaching someone on the street and the officer was investigating a carjacking and the person who he approached looked very similar to the uh, lookout that they had for the carjacker So the officer approached the man and told him to stop, and he said, you can't make me stop. And he told him to get on the ground and put his hands up. He said, you can't make me do that. And while this man was trying to, uh, you know, I don't know, assert his rights or just I don't know what he was really doing, um, you know, as he's arguing with the officer, any reasonable officer in that situation would start having their spidey senses and their concern and their concern for their well-being go up. So what we've seen is this um, lack of cooperation and understanding what law enforcement really is, what their job is. For an instance, we see people fighting with law enforcement officers on a minor arrest. There was recently, about a year ago, there was a 17-year-old who was at a school she was not supposed to be at. The officer asked her to leave. She didn't leave, and the officer went to take her into custody, and she started fighting with the officer. So, you know, I don't think that has to do with any one particular police department. I think this is a concerted effort by some groups to lessen the effectiveness of law enforcement by encouraging people to resist them. Now, my attitude has always been that uh, there there are situations in our communities, in our uh, where we live, in our day to day activities, that police need to come in and take care of people who are either violent or violating the law, or causing disruptions. And we pay for police officers to do this. We pay to have them trained. We pay to give them the legal authority to go out and confront these situations and uh, confront these people and to take control of the situation. 
We ask them to do that so we don't have to. We, we don't have vigilantes out there taking care of all of these things. And as a result, I always thought it was somewhat of an obligation uh, of the, uh, the citizens to respect and recognize the fact that police officers have a duty, an obligation, and they really need to uh, obey the lawful orders of a police officer. There's no option here to fight in the street. Let the police officer do his job and take it up in the courts or take it up off the street later on. Um, is is that uh, a thought that seems to have been lost or somehow is no longer valid? You know, it's when it's spoken about, people think that you're um, on one particular side of the political spectrum, but you're right. I know you're an attorney, and, and I've been a member of the bar now for close to 20 years. We have a legal system in our country that is the envy of legal systems all over the world because we have an ability to challenge an arrest. You have a probable cause hearing. You have a first appearance. You have an arraignment. You have a grand jury system. And for people to decide that they're going to resist the officer, when the officer tells you you're under arrest, the only appropriate lawful response is to submit to the officer's authority and be taken into custody. And anything else under our system of laws is a violation of the law, and in most cases, it's a felony. So, you know, the one other stakeholder, if you will, from what you described, you know, the officers are doing their jobs and we benefit. The other way we benefit is that people who are violent and dangerous and prey upon our citizens are not on the street. They're, they're separated from society based on the accusation um, founded on probable cause so they can be dealt with by the criminal justice system. Some of those may end up in acquittals, some of those may end up in pleas, and some of them end up in guilty verdicts. But we have a system, and when we try to bypass that system through either activism or blaming law enforcement for making too many arrests, uh, the system fails. So to give you an example, law enforcement officers make about 12 to 13 million lawful arrests a year, custodial arrests. So I'm not talking about traffic tickets talking about somebody who is physically put into handcuffs. The estimates are that officers contact about six to ten people for every person they arrest. So when you look at the number of arrests alone, uh, 11 to 12, 12 to 13 million, depending on which stats you use, one-third of officers are assaulted. One-third of the nearly one million officers are assaulted every year, but officers shoot and kill less than 1,000 people a year. So if we're arresting 11 to 12 or 12 to 13 million people a, re a year and you have less than 1,000 people who are shot and killed, law enforcement officers are not the problem. Their training is not their prob the problem. We have violent people in society who will attack and try to kill officers and the public, and we expect that they will respond according to their training. This is what I talk about in When Cops Kill and Blue News, and all the profits from those books go to law enforcement charities. To date, we've donated about $22,000. Oh, very good. Excellent. You know, um, as I'm listening to you talking about, again, the role of uh, police in our society as a whole, it uh, reminds me of a story my brother told me. My brother was an airline pilot in Philadelphia, and he was driving along in Philadelphia one day, and uh, he was surrounded by police suddenly with guns drawn, and the uh, Basically, we're shouting at him, get out of the car with your hands up. Well, he complied uh, without a problem. Uh, it turned out that he was driving a red Mustang convertible that had just been reported over the radio, the police radios, as uh, an armed robbery had just been completed in that area involving a red Mustang convertible as a getaway car. And he obviously wasn't, but at that moment of high tension and looking at it from an officer's point of view, uh, and what is the civilian supposed to do other than comply? Don't start arguing uh, in the street because that uh, that's just going to escalate things in the wrong direction unnecessarily. And uh, the fact that a stop is not an arrest and an arrest is not a conviction, and, and people should, should learn that. But we sh I thought we learned that. Um, and like you say, there's a portion of society that they're just violent. They're engaged in the uh, criminal lifestyle, and the police are just per se their enemy. Nothing personal, but the uniform and the authority is what the problem is. 
Uh, now, we're, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, we're going to take a break here shortly, but we'll be talking about what just happened in Houston the, the other, other day with the uh, police officers that are trying to serve a warrant um, to see what happens. But it, it seems like the police are still under siege. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how to turn that direction around. Uh, pretty much um, with regard to Lance, uh, what you're seeing now, are we still, uh, we have about a minute here, we're still moving in the same direction or have, do we have a reversal in law and order here? Well, I think one thing that we are seeing is that people are frustrated and they're angry that we're having trouble recruiting officers. Uh, we've had people who are supporting officers, they always have. But they need to be more vocal. This is what I talk about in Blue News. Get on your newspaper. Write, edit, write letters to the editor. Um, get on the Internet, on, on social media, and support the officers when they do things that make you proud and that help the community. Flood it with the good because we know every day law enforcement officers are fulfilling a job that most people would not do. And they go into neighborhoods to enforce the law that a lot of people wouldn't go on go into on a bet with their doors locked. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we're talking to Lance uh, LaRusso. He is a former police officer, an attorney, and an author, uh, and supports uh, law enforcement. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Lance in a few moments. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And uh, tonight we're talking about law enforcement. We're talking about police officers, those human beings who we hire to go out and get into harm's way for us. And it's becoming more and more dangerous every day. Talking to us is former police officer and current attorney and author Lance LaRusso from Atlanta, Georgia. Lance, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My, my pleasure. You know, off the air here during the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the police being human beings, basically, and, um, you know, a, a proud profession uh, and doing an important thing for our society, yet under fire, uh, whether their department or they personally are being uh, attacked, there just seems to be a national attitude that might make police officers feel not in the best of spirits about uh, their job. Uh, how how are our officers feeling as a general rule? Or how do they feel about what's going on in our culture and society now? You know, the past few years I've spoken to uh, over 2,000 law enforcement officers from the United States and Canada, and uh, there is an incredible drive in them to continue to serve the public. And a lot of times when they're getting out of the business, either retiring early or encouraging people not to get into it, it's really because they're concerned about the balance of the risks they're taking as opposed to um, the benefit they can do. So I have not heard a single officer say, well, you know, if I'm getting paid X, it's not worth it for me to risk, you know, being uh, crucified in the media if I use force properly. It's generally they're just talking about the benefits they get from the job personally. So you had situations where officers have been prosecuted just to satisfy um, some sort of a um, an uproar in the media and uh, vilified, violently vilified, threatened where other officers were uh, placed in jeopardy, like we saw in Ferguson, um, or like we saw with uh, Officer Betty Shelby in Utah when she shot and killed someone, and uh, she was actually prosecuted. She was acquitted, but what people don't realize was it was so dangerous that she was... Um, threatened with bodily harm um, all throughout that trial. So, you know, officers are worried about being supported and people waiting until the facts come out. And what I've identified uh, kind of is a pattern. We have a officer-involved shooting, and then we have what I call witnesses in quotes speaking, people that, uh, you know, want to get a hold of the cameras, they want to say what happened. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, a lot of times there's not enough time to vet these people. They're putting out what they can about the story. Then the investigation takes a while. Just for example, with the Betty Shelby shooting, um, you know, the toxicology really had a lot to do with that case. It takes six to eight weeks for tox screens to come back. So by the time the truth comes out, either through a grand jury or whatever, a grand jury clears them, the DA clears the officer, then it's a whole lot harder for those folks to say they were wrong than just say, well, the system's biased and we need to fix it. So we've seen that over and over and over again, and it's led to a lot of officers losing their careers um, and a lot of departments really having a hard time to even fill positions that they have open. You know, I've heard one officer explain to me that um, one way of looking at who are the police officers are, looking at our, our whole population as uh, having sheep, wolves, and shepherds, and that police officers are the shepherds to protect the flock. And, and that's a duty that, as danger increases, the need for more good police officers also increases. Uh, well, it's kind of funny. The people that, uh, that badmouth police, um, and I'm taking violently badmouth police, I wonder if they've removed 911 from their phones. Yeah, I bet they haven't because that's still the lifeline for survival uh, when things go really, really bad. Let's talk about Houston uh, as as recent as uh, a few days ago. Uh, this doesn't seem to be ending, but uh, what was going on there? The police officers um, were, what, executing a warrant? Right. We've had uh, the police chief, and if people have not seen it, I, I thought the police chief and his department did an excellent job in their press release uh, trying to get as much information out as they could. You had officers from a narcotics unit that were serving a search warrant um, on a group of people that they believe were involved in the drug trade. So they served the search warrant, and as soon as they um, entered on the scene, they were immediately fired upon. Um, another person 
um, tried to grab the gun of an officer who was down. They exchanged gunfire with these people. I believe two of them are dead, one may be alive, and five officers were injured. What people don't understand, and this is what we talk about in Blue News, in the book Blue News, this is what people don't understand about that situation. So they're looking at this um, issue. It's all over the news right now. Those types of warrants are served all over the United States just about every hour of the day. These officers are extremely well-trained. They know how to serve these warrants. They take precautions to protect themselves, the people they're arresting, and also the people in the community because they don't get to choose where these arrests are done. They don't get to choose what buildings they search. So when you have somebody who distinguishes themselves by shooting at law enforcement officers when they come in the door, these are some pretty bad folks. And I think we're so enamored by this uh, in the media because one of the people who was shot is a woman. And she's an older woman. Um, I believe she's in her late 50s or 60s, and most people think about folks in the drug trade being young people. And I think the other reason why people are just shaking their heads is because we've been hearing for years that the drug uh, trade and uh, drugs are a victimless crime. Uh, the Obama administration famously pardoned hundreds of people who are in crime in federal prisons for uh, drug crimes, which they said were victimless crimes. Well, everything surrounding the drug trade is violent. And the only reason these warrants are served over and over and over again without incident is because the officers do have access to tactical weapons like ballistic shields and armored vehicles. So the bad guys inside decide to give up peacefully, which is the goal of every warrant service. So our prayers go out to those officers in Houston, their families. One of the officers that was involved, this is his third time being shot in the line of duty. Yeah, I, I heard that, uh, that going through your career, now it's not that unusual for police officers, especially in departments and in communities that have high crime rates, uh, to be victims themselves. And, and we often don't think of the fact that, yeah, this just isn't a, a risk of a, a job. I mean, if you're going to work in an auto repair shop, you're not going to be wounded You know, so many times during a career. I mean, uh, with regard to, uh, you know, the glamour, like you, I think you mentioned that uh, there's sort of an attitude of, of glamour with regard to drug dealings with all the TV shows and movies and stories and so forth. Um, is that still on the uh, rise, perhaps? Because I know in the last couple of years we've had so many opioid overdose deaths and everything. And, of course, the police are out there with Narcan to help save people who are overdosing on heroin and so on. Um, what kind of trend do you see us moving in? Well, there's no doubt that the drug trade is glorified and glamorized in uh, TV and in books and music, music videos, and also in movies. That's been going on for years. Um, we know that the trade of uh, narcotics also closely paral uh, parallels other types of, uh, of activities, everything from sex trafficking to terrorism when we're talking about heroin trade. So when we're looking at an overall perspective to, uh, to stop it, um, you know, the law enforcement officers that are out here trying to make a dent in it and trying to prevent people from selling drugs, it's no longer, you know, what people are billing it as, well, why don't we just legalize marijuana? You know, fentanyl is killing people. Opiates are killing people. These are people who are addicted to drugs. I can't imagine how your heart cannot go out to somebody who's gotten addicted to drugs and now can't stop it, and they're being sold drugs illegally that are killing them. I mean, there's, there's incredible amounts of families who are yeah, just throwing yeah. their hands up and not knowing how to stop this. But yet when we're looking at this from a top-down perspective, I was in court the other day, and there is an overcrowding problem in this jurisdiction I was in. And the only way people are talking about in the media to address this overcrowding is either by letting people out of prison or not having people have high bonds or providing probation or telling officers to stop making arrests. Nobody's addressing the fact that we need to stop the cause of arrests, which is people violating the law. Well, I yeah, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of it quickly from a legal standpoint, then we're going to have to go here, is that 
when you're dealing with drug dealers and dealing with selling drugs or buying drugs, you have no recourse in the civil courts if a drug dealer fails to give you the product or if it's a bad product or you're missing money. You, uh, that's where the violence comes in. But anyway, our, our time is up, and uh, I'd like to thank uh, Lance uh, LaRusso for joining us tonight and giving us more insight on what's going on with our law enforcement officers. Lance, thank you so much and, and all those police officers out there. Thank you. I hope people will get the books at Amazon.com and LanceLaRussoBooks.com. Very good, and we encourage everyone to do that. Thank you very much. We're going to be back. We're taking a short break. This is Nick Phillips. Don't go away. We'll be back after these words. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. WHK Cleveland. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the uh, next two segments, we're going to be talking about uh, making some sense of what's been happening to our political institutions and how they're affecting how we're being governed and how we're enjoying our right to have democracy uh, as our central form of government. With us tonight, we have Ian Shapiro, who uh, has written a book on the subject, and the name of the book is called Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. Uh, Ian Shapiro, joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, my, my pleasure. Uh, if you can tell us a little about yourself, uh, you're associated with Yale University? I am. I've been teaching here in the political science department since the 1980s, and I work on democratic politics and institutions. Yeah, I, I think I recall a book going back years ago called, called The Tyranny of Democracy, which uh, this is like about 40 or 50 years ago, talking about uh, the, the I'm not that old. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I am. But in any event, uh, you know, the, the issues that uh, we were looking at then are somewhat similar to the issues we have, have today. 
first off, uh, it seems voters are angrier. They have less uh, faith in the government, and there's just a, a mm-hmm. lot of negativity floating around our traditional democratic uh, organizations and uh, and philosophies. Uh, pretty much, what's what's going on? Do you think? So we think there's a paradox, and that's at the heart of our book, Responsible Parties Saving Democracy from Itself. And the paradox is this, that since the 1960s, um, there's been increased voter alienation from the political process, greater anger, greater frustration, um, declining confidence in all political parties and political institutions, any measure you want. Uh, you find things have gotten worse. But at the same time, we've seen reform after reform after reform geared to giving voters more and more direct control over politicians' decisions and political parties. And so that seems like a paradox. If voters have been taking more and more control, why are they less and less satisfied? And we argue that the two things are actually related um, because we have we have essentially created a party system which makes it impossible for parties to govern when they reach Congress, and then we blame them for failing. Um, So we're really shooting the messenger. Politicians are not, in fact, evil. They're they're responding to the incentives that we have created. And the worst one is primaries, because the the dirty little secret about primaries is that um, they have very low turnout. And people who turn out tend not to be representative of the voters in their parties, never mind the voters in their districts. So you can get someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez picked as the Democratic candidate in New York in a primary election that had 11 percent turnout. Or in your own state of Ohio, Jim Jordan in in, uh, 2018 uh, was picked in a primary election that had about 16% turnout. And so what tends to happen then is when those people get to Washington, they have a, they have a choice. Either they can compromise with the leaderships of their parties and do the sorts of things that are needed to govern, in which case they will get attacked for having sold out by the people who elected them in the first place. Or they won't, in which case we will get gridlock and dysfunction, um, and everybody else will feel angry and alienated. So either way, uh, they're between a rock and a hard place. Um, you know, if they stick to the principles that got them selected as the candidates, um, we're going to get gridlock, and we're going to get government shutdowns and everything we're looking at in Washington. Uh, Donald Trump, by the way, was selected as the Republican nominee by 5% of the U.S. electorate in very low turnout primaries. So this becomes, you know, but then if you have a weak candidate on the other side, he's the Republican candidate. And so this, this reinforces the problem. Now, primaries have been around for more than 100 years in Congress. But what's changed is that the vast majority of seats are now safe seats. More than 90% of the seats are safe seats. And so that means that the only election of any consequence is the primary. And that's why uh, the problem has become so much worse. You know, as you're mentioning, uh, the the see that over the history, just uh, as a, a casual bystander watching how vicious the primaries have been, and mm-hmm. as the attacks have become less civil and uh, outrageous many times, and, and then yeah. at the general election there has to be this big turnaround where there has to be party unity yet supporting this candidate who has already been the subject to all types of negative uh, attacks that came out during the season. So the voters yeah. are, are we're left out here uh, looking at uh, just hundreds of commercials that person that neither candidates fit for office because look at all the negative things being said about both sides. Exactly. And and since the people selected in the primary are quite some distance from the typical voter in their party, never mind the typical voter in the electorate, people it's it's one of the reasons, by the way, that we have such low turnout in general elections because 
people don't like the choices. You know, they're choosing between the evil of two lessers, as somebody once said. Mm -hmm. And so the the impulse to just, you know, turn the page and, and not pay attention becomes uh, very high. And, and what it contributes to is extremely weak parties um, because the, the, a, a, party, a party functions best when it's kind of operate as a team. You know, when they coalesce on a vision of what they think is right for America, they get elected, they can implement it, voters can hold them accountable uh, whether if it goes well or badly and throw them out if it goes badly and go to the other party. But what we have is such diffuse accountability because all of these people who go to Washington have to resist the leaderships of their parties because otherwise they can't survive. Um, so it's sort of every person for themselves. And really, parties need to give conditional authority to the leadership it's sort of like a sports team you know the the quarterback and the uh, managers have huge amounts of power in calling the plays and devising the strategy but it's conditional on delivering if they can't succeed in winning they're gone uh you know in very short order so in what we have is very weak parties so you can have somebody like nancy pelosi lead the Democrats to four successive defeats and still stay there because the the backbenchers the, in the party can't even coordinate on removing her because they're all answerable to different groups who have picked them in primaries and maybe have funded them and have their own agendas. Um, so we get ineffective leadership, and the leadership can't... Uh, uh, control the backbenches or get them to support a platform because um, uh, if they did, they they would lose. So, so, you know, look at Mitch McConnell now. Mm -hmm. He knows there are, he knows there's a big majority in the Senate to, to vote to reopen the government. Um, but he also knows that he will fa face the kind of fate that Eric Cantor faced if he does it. He will just get he'll get knocked off in a primary in Kentucky. And so it's not it's Mitch McConnell is not an evil person. He's 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 simply responding to the incentives that we have created and we need to instead of it, you know, shooting the messenger all the time, we need to change the rules because um otherwise nothing will change. Well, we're going to uh, take a short break. We're talking to um, Professor Ian Shapiro. He's a political science professor for over 30 years at Yale University, uh, trying to untangle for us, and I think doing a good job of it, uh, of what's been going on with our version of democracy and political parties and utilization of our voters. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk more to uh, Professor Shapiro concerning uh, what has been going on. And one question I'm going to have when we come back is, I, I think I saw a shift over the last, like I mentioned, 40 or so years where there seemed to be a more noble to get elected to Congress, that they would get into Congress and they would focus on doing what's right. Seemed to have lost that. <coughs> so we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 
440-237-8555 or select insservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pet Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Wounded Warrior Project provides these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence at no cost for life. So now it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Join us at findwwp.org. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Professor Ian Shapiro, the author of a book called Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. Um, Yale professor and... uh, in my opinion, an expert on what's going on with our democracy. Uh, and Ian, thank you again for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Now, as we're talking about the, uh, the, the current um, state of affairs with regard to politicians and how they survive in office, um, is it my impression, well, it is my impression, but is it a correct impression that it, it seemed there was more of a, a noble uh, viewpoint of going into politics, uh, going through the marketing phase or the election process, and then when you get to Congress, you join arms and you work and argue and you you get yeah. things done in Congress. And th- there seems to have been a shift, I think, that uh, when someone gets elected for Congress, uh, they they know how they got there, and the first order of business is to get reelected and protect that seat at all costs. Yep. And and, mm-hmm. and the the universal joint good of working together and compromising seems to be totally out the window. Uh, is that is that an accurate observation? And if so, when did that start? I think it is an accurate observation, and it, it's, it's closely connected to what we were discussing in the previous segment, because when you have a very low turnout in primaries, those people tend to be on the on the extremes of the party. So the Republican primary voters are more conservative than typical Republican voters, and Democratic vote, uh, primary voters are more con- uh, liberal than typical Democratic voters. And that's why Congress is more polarized than the electorate. Um, th- there is increased polarization in the electorate, but nothing like the polarization in Congress, which on any measure has has um, uh, grown massively. And so we need, you know, when you think about, well, what could actually change this? So we, in our book, Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself, we are interested in solutions, not just in hand-wringing and talking about, you know, how bad the problems are, bad as they are. Uh, One thing that would help a lot is that if, if the primary turnout uh, was less than 75% of the general election turnout in the previous election, uh, it would be discarded in favor of a candidate selected by the congressional party. Because the, the congressional party leaders have an incentive to pick people who can both win in their districts and support one national program. 
um, and then you would get more moderate programs out of both parties and uh, trying to extract compromises from people at extreme polar opposites of the political spectrum would be less needed. Another thing you could do, and which we advocate, is stop the practice of state um, legislatures drawing districts and instead go like uh, some states have already done to giving that job to independent commissions. Uh, unfortunately, most of the independent commissions are actually bipartisan commissions. They're not really independent. And so they, instead of you know, the state legislature creating safe seats for its party, they just carve up the state between the two parties. But either way, you get safe seats out of it. What the independent commission should really do is design districts that look more like America. Uh, so most districts, wherever possible, should have both rural voters and urban voters in them. We shouldn't have, you know, blue cities in red states kind of problem where, again, you just feed the polarization. The districts should be more like flower petals, if you like, around cities. So every every person running in a predominantly urban district would have to worry about the interests of rural voters. And every person running in a rural district would have to worry about the the interests of urban voters. And you would get different kinds of people elected then. And so you would uh, have a, a Congress that looked more like America than like the, the sort of caricature of, of warring factions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, I know in our discussions in, a, in the book, you seem to have uh, faith in the national parties and uh, suggest that maybe their organization should be reestablished. Uh, is, is that likely to happen uh, since we've evolved into what we are now, and that is these extremes? I think it'll be hard, and you, you certainly have to start with baby steps rather than big steps. That's why, for example, we don't propose getting rid of primaries. I think that's politically a bridge too far in America. They've been around for 100 years, and in the presidential system, they've been important since the 70s. Um, but again, in the presidential system, one could have a similar rule which said that if the primary turnout fell below some threshold, that then the congressional parties would pick the candidate, which, by the way, we used to have. Um, the, the, until 1824, um, the congressional parties picked the presidential candidates, and then Andrew Jackson was furious when he lost to John Quincy Adams. This is the first populist assault on the American representative government and uh, demanded for 1828 that there would be a national convention, which is was the first convention. Then the next wave came with the progressives, and the next wave came with, in the post-Chicago convention in 68. So we've progressively decentralized control of the parties. Um, we're, by the way, not arguing to going back to smoke-filled rooms and, mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we're all for transparency, but the uh, and having party bigwigs and past presidents and mayors and so forth, uh, that just breeds corruption and side deals and so on. We're all for sunlight and openness. But I just come back to if we could re-empower the leaderships of the congressional parties, what's their incentive? They need a, they need a party that they need people who can win in their districts, so they have to pick people that most people in their districts would want elected and they need people who can support a national program. So they're going to pick the people in the districts, to, they're gonna to pick to run in the districts, the kind of people who could function on a team. I'll come back to the sports metaphor. Um, that's what it would be in their interest to do. And at the end of the day, we, we have to think of, of, that politicians are just like everybody else. They respond to the incentives you put in front of them. Um, because they, you know, people condemn them for trying to get reelected, but of course they can't do anything if they don't get reelected. Right, so right. we force them to. You yeah. know, in, uh, in in listening to what we're talking about, you mentioned prior to 1824 the idea of having the essentially the congressional representatives of the party select their presidential candidate. It sounds a lot like uh, what what goes on in England, UK, 
and having parliaments mm-hmm. elect their prime minister. Are there any other governments out there that we can take some of the elements of those governments, and uh, I'm talking about the Democrat, not the autocratic, but the Democratic governments, and try to seed into our system here that would help us improve? Well, uh, I mean, since you mentioned Britain, I should say that in our book, Responsible Parties Saving Democracy from Itself, uh, we look at, at, you know, we look at Britain, France, Germany, Eastern Europe, Latin America, and you know, the sad story is that they've done many of the same things. They've, uh, we don't have time to discuss it here, but they have also um, fixed things that weren't broken and made their political system much less functional, namely with the introduction of uh, referenda, which is why Theresa May is in all the trouble she's in uh, because of David Cameron's use of that. But making our system function more like a parliamentary system would be better. So anything you, we can do to get more cooperation and coordination across the branches which we, would be good. And if, if the congressional leadership had more of a say in the selection of the presidential candidates, they would be all, it would be, you know, the president would be more like a prime minister. Yet, you know, we're getting all this pressure to go in the opposite direction now. Everybody's saying, oh, we should get rid of the electoral college. It's so unfair. Hillary got almost three million more votes. But of course, if the president were independently elected, um, the president would actually have more power and Congress would have less power. And this is what you see all over Latin America, um, where the presidents can more or less ignore the legislature and sometimes completely ignore it. And then you essentially get, you know, a, a breakdown of democracy altogether. Right, right, so right. Far, from, far from strengthening the authority of the president, we should be strengthening the parties in Congress. Well, parties are the lifeblood of political of I, democracy. I do, I do agree. Uh, yes, Ian Schipper joining us uh, tonight and giving us the name of the book is Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.